Welcome to the River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we desire to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, Lead Pastor Daryl Anderson continues his series titled The Daniel Plan with part two, The Upper Room. In the events leading up to Daniel being thrown into the lion's den, we see two more principles and a practice that helped cement Daniel's resolve to not defile himself. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. That's something I want to show you here. Now, some of you will know exactly what this is. In fact, some of you may have had one of these at one time. Uh, for some of you, it might, might even bring back some really good memories. Others of you will have absolutely no idea what this is. You've never seen it. You don't know what it's about. But it is a Bell and Howell 8-millimeter film projector. This is old school right here. It was made in 1959. If you Google it, it'll actually call it a vintage film projector. And I love that word because what that means is I'm not getting older, I'm just getting more vintage. But if you're not familiar with this, the way you would use this is there would be little reels or spools that you would put on each of these arms and it has tape, eight millimeter tape. And so you'd have to wind it through all of this stuff and wrap it through the lens, create it here, and then you would turn it on. And once you turn it on, you get an image up there on the screen or the wall, whatever you're showing it on. Now, you can obviously tell, even though there's not a real image up there this morning, that the image would be really blurry and shaky, and it's not anything like the high-tech pictures that we can produce today. But this was used way back in the day for a, a concept called the film room. Now, that's used in a variety of venues, but it's used in sports a lot. And I don't know exactly when in the sports world that the film room became so important and they utilized the film room as a critical aspect in what they did for the team. But it evolved to where the film room became extremely important. Now, later on uh, in the message, we'll talk about why the film room is so important. But I wanna use this as a visual and a segue to talk about the topic this morning. And that is the upper room. We're gonna deal with the upper room. We're actually in a series that we started last week entitled The Daniel Plan. And we're looking through the book of Daniel, the, the story of Daniel and the person of Daniel, using him as an example for um, how we should build our life. Daniel incorporated uh, some principles into his life that helped him become the success and experience the victory that he did, to, to be used by God to the way he was, to represent God, the way that he did. And so it's an example for us. We're looking at principles that we need to incorporate in our life, these same principles that Daniel did, so that we can be used by God to our fullest and we can represent God in a very powerful, real way as well. We've talked about last week that the foundational passage for these principles, as well as for the entire series, is found in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, that Daniel resolved not to defile himself. He made an unwavering decision and commitment that he would do nothing to damage his relationship with God. 
And these principles that we're looking at helped reinforce that resolve. And last week, we looked at the very first principle, which is think about what you think about. And the idea is not to let the ungodly, negative, self-destructive thoughts linger in our mind, run muck in our mind, to set up shop in our mind. Instead, we treat it like an unwanted guest, if you will, that when they come knocking, you say, no, thank you, and you shut the door, and you don't entertain or accommodate those thoughts. Well, this morning, we're going to look at two more principles, and these two principles are intertwined and interconnected with one another, and they are linked specifically with this concept of the upper room. But before we look at the principles, we need to look at the story here in Daniel chapter 6. So one of the most familiar stories we know about Daniel, it's Daniel and the lion's den. But we're not going to look as much at the lion's den aspect as we are to all the events preceding and what led up to the lion's den. So let's recap the story here. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So here's the picture. The king is gonna set up a, a new organizational structure, a new leadership paradigm, if you will, and he's at the top as king. Underneath him are the three, uh, the, the three rulers, administrators, one of which is Daniel. Underneath them are 120 other officials, and ev evidently these officials have been ripping off the king, so now the administrators are gonna be in place to help that not take place. But Daniel so distinguished himself among everyone else that the king decides, I'm gonna make him second in command over everybody else. Well, obviously the administrators did not like that. So here's what they do in verse four. It says, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. In other words, they want to find a way to derail Daniel. They want to find a way to accuse Daniel so he's unworthy to take this place, but they can't find anything. <laughs> There's no corruption in him. It says he's neither corrupt nor negligent. What kind of testimony would that be for all of us to be able to have that said about us? So since they couldn't find anything there, they said, hey, we can find something in relationship to his God, which again tells us about the resolve of Daniel and how he lived for his God. So that's what they do. Verse six, here's what they do. The administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. So here's what they do. They go to the king. Hey, make this decree. If any god's been prayed to, they're gonna go to the lion's den. The king liked that so well that he said, okay. And in verse nine, he signs that decree. So it's into law. 
that brings us to verse 10, which is our key passage this morning. It's the key passage in regard to the upper room. It's the key passage to these two principles. Verse 10 says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Now, the rest of the chapter deals with the rest of the story that we know very well, that Daniel's thrown into the lion's den. God spares Daniel from the lions. King brings him back out, has a decree for everybody to, to worship the, the God of Daniel. And then the king throws the accusers of Daniel into the lion's den and the lion kills all the accusers. But what's important is what leads up to here, verse 10, and specifically that draws us now to these two principles. So here's the second principle. Remember, the first principle is think about what you think about. But to keep this resolved, here's the second principle. Decide before deciding. Decide before you have to decide. Make the decision before you even have to make the decision. 1.8 says that Daniel resolved. And what that means in part is that he decided early on that he wouldn't do nothing to defile himself. So you have to make the decision before you even have to make the decision. Verse 10 here says, when Daniel learned about the decree that had been published. What that tells us is Daniel knew the decree had been made. He knew this law had been signed that anyone that's gonna pray is gonna be thrown into the lion's den. He knew about that. So knowing about the decree not to pray to anyone, what did Daniel do? <laughs> he went and prayed. Knowing exactly what was going to happen to him if he went and prayed, he went and prayed. Says he went home to upstairs room where the windows were open to Jerusalem, got down on his knees and he prayed. He didn't just go pray. He went upstairs in an open window and prayed. It's interesting to me that Daniel does not do something different. I mean, after all, we're talking about a lion's den. So Daniel could have said, hey, you know what? It's just for 30 days. So I'm just gonna stop praying for 30 days. It's just a month. What's the big deal? I just won't pray for 30 days. When the decree expires, then I'll start praying again. Well, if he just could not not pray, then Daniel could have gone to pray, but he could have prayed downstairs <laughs> where nobody would see him. Nobody would know about it. And he could still pray. Or if he just felt like, no, I've got to go to the upper room and pray, well, shut the windows. But instead he goes and prays with those. Why did he do that? Well, we have to understand the context. King Darius was planning to put Daniel above everyone else because of his character. All the officials knew that they're trying to derail him, and they all knew that he was a man of God. We know that he's been praying because he's doing it just as he has done before. So all of the other rulers knew Daniel's routine. They knew that Daniel was going up there to pray. That's why they made the decree in the first place, because they knew what he was doing. So for Daniel to stop doing that now would have been utter compromise of his faith. It would have been unfaithfulness for Daniel. And remember, Daniel had resolved to do nothing to defile himself. On top of that, if he had stopped praying, all of those officials would have known how we got him. 
We accomplished what we were trying to accomplish. So Daniel would not do that. He would not suffer that compromise because he was going to continue that resolve. And what's important to know is he had decided even before he had to decide. See, Daniel didn't start praying right here when the decree was made. He'd been praying long before that. And so Daniel just continued to pray. He didn't change his routine just because of some pressure. He didn't hide his faith just because the time came when it was hard to show his faith. He continued to do because he had decided long before he had to make this decision. Verse 4 says that they could find no corruption in him. The officials couldn't find any cause to give any accusation. Why? Because he had determined and resolved early in his life. So earlier on when he was making smaller decisions that might lend to smaller consequences, he continued that resolve. But it didn't change now that he's facing some decisions that's going to reap greater consequences. He continued the process and the routine. Why? Because he had decided even before he had to decide. Now, a little side note. Earlier in the book of Daniel, we see three friends of Daniel doing the same thing. You remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're facing the same thing. When they have to encounter the fiery furnace, either bow down and worship the idol of King Nebuchadnezzar or go into the fiery furnace, they had already decided way before that point as well that they're not going to bow now, here's the interesting part. If these three friends had waited until they were at the edge of the fiery furnace, if Daniel would have waited until he's knocking on the door of the lion's den to make the decision, chances are great that they would have made the wrong decision. And the same is true for us. We have to decide before we decide, because if we don't decide before the consequence, we're looking at the consequence, we're looking at the, 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 it's going to intimidate us. It's going to overpower us. It's going to overwhelm us. Our mind's going to be focused on the consequence. And if we haven't already made the decision, chances are we're going to feel so much pressure we're going to make the wrong decision. So the key is, if we're going to be resolved not to defile ourselves, we have to make the decision way before we even have to make the decision. Now, you probably will never face literal lions but you do and will face literal consequences for your faith. And you have to make the decision, am I going to be resolved not to defile myself? Or am I going to compromise? Am I going to cave in? Am I going to give in? Am I going to step back? When I'm faced with that choice, what choice am I going to make? Well, you have a much better chance of making the right choice if you make the choice way before you have to make the choice. You determine early on before you face the consequence, I've already made the decision. Regardless of the cost, I'm going to keep my resolve. The truth is that your faithfulness and your commitment to live life after God's design, to live life based on God's truth, is going to create moments of decision. It's going to create moments of conflict and trouble and consequence. So you're going to have to decide, am I going to remain faithful? The great news about this, though, is that God always rewards your faithfulness. God always rewards that resolve and that faithfulness to live for him. Now, you may not see it immediately, 
In fact, you may not fully realize it in this life even. But God always rewards your faithfulness. It never returns void. When we live life with this resolve and with this, with this commitment, God will always use that to glorify himself and to impact the kingdom. It never comes back void. So if we're gonna keep this resolve, we have to decide before deciding. Here's the next principle that interconnects and interlinks with this one. And that is to know that preparation is for preparation. Preparation's for preparation. The reason I prepare is so I'll be prepared. And it's all linked together because preparation prepares me to decide before I have to decide. It's all interconnected. And it's all interconnected through the upper room, which is our point this morning. The concept of the upper room is in Scripture in a variety of places. One place is Luke 22. And in Luke 22, Jesus is talking to his disciples and preparing or having them go to make preparations for Passover. And this particular Passover really becomes the last supper for the disciples with Jesus before the crucifixion, before he goes to the cross. So in the conversation, Jesus tells the disciples, a few disciples to go, you're gonna find a man and he's gonna tell you where to go. And in verse 12, he says to the man, he says, he will show you a large upper room and make preparations there. We'll talk about that more in a moment, but what a great analogy, what a great word that is for all of us, that we are to go to the upper room and make preparations there. For this upper room at this time, the disciples had intimacy with Jesus. They talked together. They fellowshiped together. They prayed together. They ate together. They had communion together. Jesus got down and washed their feet Jesus used that upper room time to prepare them for what was about to happen. We see the upper room again in Acts chapter one. At this time, this is after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. This is after Christ died for our sins and set us free. It's after the resurrection where he gives life over the enemy and over death and over sin. He's about to ascend. He's been hanging out with the disciples for a while. He's about to ascend to the Father. After the ascension, the disciples are heading back to Jerusalem. In Acts 1.13, it says, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they had been staying. When they got to Jerusalem, they went to their upper room. Now, this, the reason they did that is this is where they were staying even before the ascension. Jesus had said, when I go, I want you to go back there and wait. I want you to wait for the promise. In other words, I want you to wait for what's about to happen. So in this upper room, the disciples are gathered together and they had this incredible encounter with God. They had this incredible encounter with the Holy Spirit. This upper room is shaken. And so it's a moment when they're filled with the Spirit and they're emboldened by the Spirit and now they're able to go out and be able to speak truth and live truth regardless of the consequences. And what's really incredible about this upper room is once this happened, once they had this experience, it was so powerful, their resolve never wavered again. 
regardless of every consequence that they faced from that point on. What we see here in Daniel chapter six, verse 10, we see another upper room. And it's Daniel's upper room. And when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to the upstairs room and he prayed. What do you think was the subject of that prayer that day? It's the decree that he just learned about. Verse 11 says that these men, talking about the accusers of Daniel, these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. What do you think he was asking help for? He knew the decree. He knew the consequences of not obeying the decree. He knew that he was not going to obey the decree. And he knew he would be found out. Daniel knew what was coming. Daniel knew he was about to face the lion's den. He is asking for help. And what's amazing here is the men heard him asking for help. Remember, he's praying right there by the open window. Everybody could hear what he's praying about. And he's asking for help because he knows what's coming. He's not saying, God, I'm not doing it. He's just saying, God, my resolve is a resolve. I'll do nothing to damage, but I'm asking you for help. He's preparing right then. So he's prepared when it happens. That preparation is so he's prepared. This is fascinating to me. He is praying knowing he will pay the price for praying. His praying is preparing him to pay the price for praying. He could have just stopped praying. He knows his obedience and his faithfulness and his commitment and his resolve and his prayer is going to lead him to the lion's den. Why did he keep from praying? I think it's because he knew the price for not praying was way higher than the price for praying. He was willing to pay the price for praying. He didn't want to pay the price for not praying. So verse 10, just as he had done before, just as he had done every day since who can remember. He goes up to his room. He has the upper room experience and he prays. He cements that resolve and he's already decided before he has to decide. He's already prepared before he has to prepare. He's ready for what's gonna come. I think the application for us is obvious this morning. We all need an upper room. We all need to spend time in the upper room. It doesn't have to literally be an upper room, but it has to be that place that two things happen. At least two things should happen in that upper room experience. And the first is for encounter. That upper room is so that you encounter God. You have an encounter with Jesus Christ. You have an encounter with the Holy Spirit of God that so impacts you and so changes you that it cements the resolve in you not to defile yourself, not to do 
anything that would damage your relationship with God and your testimony with God. It's during this encounter that you fall more and more in love with Christ. You understand more and more the depth of his love and grace and mercy and compassion and holiness and majesty and glory. And what happens is as you understand him more intimately, you fall in love with him more deeply. You begin to trust him more fully and follow him more willingly. This encounter, just like the disciples, will so cement your resolve that you won't give it up regardless of the consequence. But the second thing that happens in the upper room is preparation. It's for preparation. Here's where I come back to the film room. Okay, remember, we've got this old film going where they're able to look. Obviously, they're doing something much different today, but this has been a practice for years and years and years and years and years. We've just updated the technology. We do know that, you know, this past week we just had a, the college championship game today where there's gonna be two NFL championship games. If you've been listening to any sports talk at all over the last several weeks, you hear all the coaches and players, they all talk about the film room. They all talk about the concept of going into that film room. They all understand how critically important it is. Why is the film room so important to all these teams? Well, it's because of what happens in the film room. In the film room, one, they're able to look at all the bad plays, <laughs> all their missed assignments, the missed blocks, everything they did wrong, things that they should have done, they didn't get done. So it allows them to evaluate their past mistakes to be sure they don't make the same mistakes again. But it also gives them the opportunity to celebrate the big plays, to celebrate the big hits, to celebrate those assignments that they did get right and the plays that were effective and they can shout as a team, whether it's an individual player that did it or it's a team concept or the whole line, but they're able to celebrate and rejoice what went right. They're also able to, to scheme their scheme, to look at what they're doing so they know exactly what they're going to do next time. But it's also an important part is to prepare for the opponent because they're not just looking at their film, they're looking at the film of the opponent. And they're trying to, to learn what they're gonna do, how they're going to attack us, what plays that they're going to run so that we can defend those things, we can stop those things, and we can defeat the opponent. Every coach and every player will tell you that the film room is critical to the success on the field. And the analogy is the same. The upper room for us, the upper room for us is as critical for success and victory as that film room is for coaches. Victory is won in the film room. It's critical for our victory over the enemy. It's critical for cementing our resolve. It's critical to deepening that relationship with Christ. But it's, it's critical for our preparation to prepare us to go and share Christ and share the gospel with someone that needs to hear the word, to have the heart to want to do it, to have the sensitivity to be aware of the opportunity, to actually have the words and the knowledge and the scriptures to share that with somebody. It's critical for our preparation to minister to those people that are in need. Again, to have the heart and the sensitivity to know and understand that someone is hurting and then to have the desire and the compassion and some insight to share that. It's critically important that prepares us 
to defeat the enemy. To understand how our enemy is coming against us and the wiles of the devil and the trickery that he's going to use and the darts that he's going to shoot at us so that we're prepared and that we're ready. It allows us to evaluate our own past mistakes and be prepared not to do those again. It's critical for our success. This upper room encounter and preparation is what leads us to having a resolve. It's what empowers us to face the lion's den. It's what helps us stand boldly as we proclaim truth and live out our truth. So, if you want to follow the Daniel plan, think about what you think about. Decide before you even have to decide. And prepare so that you are prepared. But even most importantly, to connect all those this morning is have the upper room experience. Maybe here you've never had this upper room encounter. You've never had that time where you spent time with God, just you and him. You were getting alone with him to pray, to get into the word, to worship, to allow the spirit to move in you. That's not, that just hadn't been part of your routine. My encouragement is start. Start an upper room experience where you're meeting with God consistently. If you have one, develop it, strengthen it, enhance it. If you have a consistent one, man, I just encourage you to continue to have a consistent one because it's the lifeblood of everything that you do. It's the key to living out these principles and it's the key to victory over your lions. I shared with you, I think a month or two ago that I started a new little devotion book as part of my devotion time. It's from A.W. Tozer. And in the devotion on January 17th, he kind of touched on this a little bit. Here's what he said. He said, we have so many distractions today that makes, it, that makes the devotional life all but impossible. And we can make the devotional life the upper room encounter. He said, we have so many distractions today, makes the de- devotional life all but impossible. And he lists distractions, newspaper, telephone, radio, TV, etc. What's funny about this, though, is he wrote those words in the early 1940s. <laughs> there were like two television stations, a handful of radio stations. The only way you could really get the news is to watch the late night news at night or get a newspaper thrown on your doorstep. Can you imagine what he would have thought and said if he would have penned those words today with hundreds of TV stations and hundreds of radio stations and 24-7 access through our phones and internet to everything and anything. You talk about extract distractions. Here's the truth. We have hundreds of things carrying us away and calling us away and keeping us away from the upper room. You have one voice calling you to the upper room. And that's the voice of God. So ignore the other voices that are pulling you away and take some time to hear the voice that's bringing you to the upper room. And may we heed the words that Christ told his disciples. Go to the upper room and make preparations there. Would you bow with me? As a response, we just want to give you time to respond. However, the Spirit of God wants to do that in you this morning. We're going to sing here in just a moment. 
but you're invited to do whatever the Spirit's leading you to do. You may want to stand and sing and worship at that time. You're welcome to do that. You may want to stay seated and spend this time in prayer as your little upper room moment to allow the Spirit to continue to minister to you. You have the freedom to do that. We will have some prayer team members in the front and the back that if you'd like to come and pray with somebody about whatever might be going on in your heart and in your life, we invite you and want you to do that as well. You may want to go to another friend and pray. That All of that is welcome. There's freedom in this place because the goal is for the Spirit of God to move and to speak and to work in you and for you to respond so that when we leave out of here in a few moments, we can truly say we've encountered God and He's done something in my life this morning. So you respond how the Spirit would move you this morning. Father, we just thank you that you love us so much that you call us to the upper room. Father, I pray that your spirit would just continue to speak and you would say and do whatever you need to say and do in each one of us this morning. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We truly hope that you are blessed and encouraged. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org.